Welcome to another episode of the Buckets Ranch Show. We got another extremely packed show. We're going to talk about a lot of things, starting with the All-NBA teams. We're going to talk about the scoring title race. We're going to talk about the MVP race for a little bit. And then we're going to talk about the seeding gearing up to the playoffs. This is about to be the last week of the NBA regular season. So it's going to be very important to see how these teams are looking headed into the postseason, where they're going to be positioned seeding-wise. We're going to get into all of that. I'm going to highlight my top teams. I'm going to break down the NBA teams in tiers. We'll touch on the Final Four for a little bit, getting ourselves prepared for the National Championship game, which is tonight. So a lot to look forward to, a lot to break down. I'm going to look at the key games coming up in the NBA that you guys should be focused on. So we got a really packed show. Let's get it started. Starting talking about the All-NBA teams. And the All-NBA is basically at the end of the season, they take the 15 players that are the best at their position. So you got guards, you got forwards, and you got centers. They're going to look at the best players, two guards, two forwards, and a center make the All-NBA team. There's going to be three All-NBA teams. I'm going to break down who I would have in my All-NBA teams, and then we'll talk about how the voters really factor in who makes all nba so for me i'm looking at the best players at at their position because that's what they say the basis of the all nba is so because of that i'm not really looking at where your team is in the standings i'm worried about the individual player the individual production the individual impact and basically who i would want to have on my team this season based on what i've seen so by that criteria my All-NBA first team, I have Luka Doncic and Trey Young in my backcourt. I have Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic in my frontcourt. And when we talk about Luka Doncic, Luka's averaging 28 points a game, nine rebounds, nine assists a game on 53 effective field goal percentage. And what he has done with this Dallas Mavericks team has been incredible. And we're not going to basically factor in the team success and team standing, but it's worth noting that the Dallas Mavericks are fighting for the three seed in the Western Conference. They've been a lot better than anybody expected. They traded Kristaps Porzingis at the trade deadline and completely bought in. They went all in on the Luka Doncic offense, the Luka Doncic system. Everything runs through him. They brought in Spencer Dinwiddie to be another guy that can create his own shot on the team. They have Jalen Brunson, who's a good combo guard, but everything runs through Luka Doncic. He's a ridiculous offensive weapon. And when we get to my next guard, we're going to talk about some crazy statistical accomplishments that both of these guys in the backcourt have done. But just know, extremely well-rounded player. His defense is not terrible either. He has a lot of really good defenders around him, but Luka Doncic is so creative, so crafty with the ball in his hands a great decision maker, a great playmaker, and obviously a lethal shot creator in his own right. So Luka Doncic, to me, clearly first team All-NBA. He's an MVP candidate as well. Not in the top three. We'll get to that later, but an MVP candidate nonetheless. Luka Doncic is going to be my first guard on first team All-NBA. The second guard on first team All-NBA is Trey Young. And I've talked about Trey Young multiple times. And this dude is averaging very similar numbers to Luka Doncic. He's a lot shorter, so he's not averaging nearly as many rebounds, five less rebounds a game. But he's averaging the same 28 points. He's actually averaging slightly more assists, about 10 assists per game for Trey Young. And he's shooting slightly higher, 53.5 effective field goal percentage. He's a better distance shooter at this point than Luka Doncic, so that's why 
his overall effective field goal percentage is higher. Effective field goal percentage basically accounts for the difficulty and the importance of a three-point shot into the overall scoring profile. So Trey Young shooting about 38% from three. That's going to help his effective field goal percentage a lot. And Trey Young has the most 30-point 10 assist games in the NBA this season, which showcases a dual threat bucket generating ability, both as a scorer and as a playmaker. And these guys, Luka Doncic and Trey Young, they're both top five in the NBA in points per game and assists per game. So all of these stats really just tell you how complete their offensive skill set is. Nobody is bringing to the table the type of offensive production that these two have brought to the table this season. So for that reason, they are clearly on my first team All-NBA. The only knock against Trey Young will be his defense. He's arguably the worst defender in the NBA, but his offense more than makes up for that, and that's why he's on my first team All-NBA. Moving on to the front court, these are the three MVP candidates that we've been talking about basically all season, but especially heating up lately for this MVP race. They're matching each other bar for bar when it comes to scoring production, impact production. Jokic dropped like 38 points, 18 rebounds yesterday, and Bede follows it up with 44 points, 17 boards, and five blocks. And you had Giannis out here hitting game tie and step back threes against KD and the Nets and hitting game-winning free throws in overtime, dropping 40-plus with 10-plus boards. These guys are all putting up ridiculous stat lines. And for Giannis, to me, he gets the nod at 30 points per game, 12 assists, or excuse me, 12 rebounds a game and six assists on 58 effective field goal percentage. And the case for Giannis is he's basically in the three-man race for the scoring title as well as the MVP. So... He's obviously getting the production done on the offensive side of the ball. Also, six assists, improving significantly as a playmaker as the years go on. And he's a defensive player of the year candidate, too. He's doing it on both ends of the floor. His defense, especially as a help defender, has been very stellar. So that's why he's on this list. Jokic, 27 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists, 62 effective field goal percentage. And Jokic is a ridiculously efficient offensive weapon one of the top rebounders in the game. He's top 10 in points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, and field goal percentage in the NBA. So Jokic is basically doing it all. He leads the Nuggets in every statistical category, even including steals and blocks. So he's been ridiculously valuable to his team. He's been ridiculously productive across the board. Jokic, easily first team All-NBA to me. And then the final spot, for the first team All-NBA is Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is averaging 30 points, 12 rebounds, and four assists on 53 effective field goal percentage. And the case for Joel Embiid in terms of his scoring production, he has the most 30-plus point games in the NBA this season. And he's also similar to Giannis, and Jokic has actually been uh, a lot improved on the defensive end. But Joel Embiid has been a very, very good defender, especially as a rim protector. And that really helps him out in his overall profile and candidacy for making the first team all NBA. So you factor that in with what he's doing offensively. His playmaking is also improving. I wouldn't say to the degree of a Giannis Antetokounmpo, definitely nowhere near the degree of Nikola Jokic, but still improving as a playmaker and the well-roundedness of his statistical profile and just the eye test and watching the type of shots that he makes for a seven footer, making threes, the way he's making them, 
mid-range fadeaways. Like he has a ridiculous arsenal and also one of the best at getting to the line, knocking down free throws. So Joel Embiid rounds out my first team all NBA. Luka, Trey, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. Moving on to the second team. My All-NBA second team, I have Stephen Curry, Devin Booker, LeBron James, Jason Tatum, and Carl Anthony Towns. And Steph is averaging 25.5 points a game, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. He's doing it on 55 effective field goal percentage. And the case for Steph, it really started to fall off uh, towards the midway point of the season. He was one of the top MVP guys, but then his stats... His efficiency, it fell off significantly, and thus his MVP candidacy fell off, and thus his All-NBA first team candidacy to me because I see two guys at his position that have been way better, especially if you're not factoring in the team success aspect because we're looking at the individual players. But a lot of people will say Steph Curry's value is felt a lot without the ball in his hands and just the impact and the gravity that he has on the court, which is very, very valid. And you've seen the Golden State Warriors struggle when Stephen Curry has been out of the lineup. He's out for the rest of the season, at least the regular season. So you've been able to see that they've struggled to try to find some rhythm, try to find some consistency on the offensive end. So you got to give Steph credit for him bringing that offensive unit together. But to me, it's just as simple as he's not been better than Trey Young or Luka Doncic this season. I do believe he will make first team All-NBA because I do believe that the voters will value the team's success. So I think he probably makes it over Trey Young unless actually they'll probably go Devin Booker for the first team All-NBA, which we'll get to next. Uh, but they're definitely going to factor in some team success a little bit because the winning bias is, is just hard to avoid, you know, when you're talking about conversations like this, although I don't really think it should be factored in. But Steph Curry, he's having a down year, the worst three-point shooting year of his career. But regardless, he's still Steph Curry. He's still one of the best players in the world. And I do expect him to have a very, very great postseason. So that's Steph Curry. And you got Devin Booker sharing the backcourt with him on the second team. Booker's averaging 27-5-5 and on 53 effective field goal percentage. And Devin Booker has taken his three-point percentage up significantly. We always knew Booker could shoot the ball, but his percentage wasn't really reflecting his shooting ability. And this year it is more so he's improved as a playmaker. He's improved as a defender. And even if we're not factoring in the team success of the Phoenix Suns being the best team in basketball, Devin Booker has still been a very impactful player. He's been a very good to great player this season. And he's more than deserving of second team all NBA in my estimation. Just again with him, he has not been better individually than Trey Young or Luka Doncic. So that's why he's going to be on the second team for me. LeBron James. LeBron is the scoring champ right now, slightly over Giannis and Embiid, 30 points a game, eight rebounds, six assists on 59 effective field goal percentage. And LeBron offensively, the case is obvious. He's been putting up ridiculous statistical feats on a night in, night out basis. It seems like every night you watch him play, he's breaking a record, which is insane to say, but in year 19, he's still going strong. Defensively, he's giving you spotty effort, however. Sometimes he's making these great plays, these chase down blocks, and then a lot of times he's just lazy on defensive rotations. And it's hard to blame him because you look at this team defensively and they're just not good. Overall, they're just not a good basketball team this year. But LeBron's doing all he can. He's putting up these 
great stats. But defensively, I do have to knock him. And then the games played, he hasn't really played nearly the amount of games as some of these other guys, but he's played enough games to justify this position, the All-NBA second team. He's not been better. Even if you're taking out the team success aspect, he has not been better than Giannis, Jokic, or Embiid this season, which is why those three get the nod on my first team, All-NBA, and LeBron's on the second team. And then Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's averaging 27 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, on 52 effective field goal percentage. And Jason Tatum was struggling a bit at the beginning of the season, sort of similar to Luka Doncic with his outside shot. These are guys that kind of are on the opposite trajectory of a Stephen Curry, where they started off kind of slow, but really have picked it up lately. And Jason Tatum has been on a tear since that early stretch of the season. And he's putting up ridiculous scoring production. He's doing it defensively too, on the best defensive team in the NBA. He's been a, Pretty significant part of it. I wouldn't say he's one of their best defenders, but he's definitely not anywhere near a liability. He still can defend multiple positions. So you got to give him respect and props for that. So that's why he's on my second team, All-NBA. And then the center, Carl Anthony Towns. And I feel like Towns doesn't get appreciated as he should because he's such a complete offensive player. His skill set is remarkable. He's averaging 25 points, 10 boards, four assists on 59 and a half effective field goal percentage. He is the only player in the NBA shooting over 50% from the field and over 40% from three and averaging 20 plus points per game. So you got to respect that. And what Towns is doing for this Minnesota Timberwolves team has been remarkable. I got to show him love on second team, all NBA. Moving on to the third team, all NBA. I have John Morant, Chris Paul, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, and Rudy Gobert. And when we look at John Morant, this is another guy that was thrown in the MVP conversations for a lot of the season. However, his team is now, I believe, 20-2 and two without him in the lineup, which is significant, although I don't really care about the team standing for the All-NBA, so that doesn't really sway me one way or the other. His individual stats, he's averaging 28 points a game, six rebounds and seven assists on 53 effective field goal percentage. And John Morant, has definitely improved across the board. He went from a guy that didn't even make the all-star teams, and now people are talking about him in the MVP conversation. His scoring has been great. He's been one of the best finishers around the rim in the league. His paint points are remarkable for a guy that is at that size. His playmaking is still very, very good. He's not really a defender, uh, and his three-point shot, although it is improving, is just not where some of these other guys' shot is. And because of those things, I just could not put him on any of the higher All-NBA teams. I just think all those guys, Luca, Trey Young, Steph, and Devin Booker, even this season in terms of their production and impact, I would rather have those guys than a John Morant. But I have to put a lot of respect on the numbers that John Morant's putting up this year and just his impact, the eye test. He's spectacular. Every day you're seeing some highlights posted on social media of him doing a ridiculous dunk, him having a ridiculous block, or just showing off his ridiculous athleticism. So props to John Moran having a very, very great season. Chris Paul is the other guard for me on the third team. And you may say, without factoring in team success, how are you going to put Chris Paul on this list? And Chris Paul, despite only averaging 15 points a game, he's averaging 11 assists per game. He's leading the NBA in assists per game. And he's doing it on 54 effective field goal percentage as well. And his turnover rate, he's 
barely turning the ball over at all. He's averaging like two turnovers a game. So his assist to turnover ratio is remarkable. And that his playmaking has just been ridiculous. Like he controls the entire flow and the pace of the game. And then in crunch time, he's one of the top clutch performers in the NBA. He makes the right decision with the ball in his hands. You know he's lethal from the mid-range and he can score and he can pass to beat you down the stretch of games. And he's done that. The Suns have been remarkable when it comes to closing basketball games. He's a big part and a big reason for that. And that's why he cracked into my all-NBA third team. And then we got DeMar DeRozan. DeMar is actually forward eligible. You can put him at guard or you can put him at forward. A thing I want to also mention about the first team all-NBA, because we both know that Jokic and Embiid are both centers. However, they're making them forward eligible, so they can't put all the best players on one team, which has been somewhat of a controversial thing. However, they're saying basically whatever position he gets the most votes for, Jokic or Embiid, that's the position they're going to have. So if the voters are voting Jokic and Embiid both at center, one of those guys is not going to make the first team All-NBA, which is wild considering they're both the top MVP guys, uh, two of the top three at bare minimum. One of them not making the first team would be kind of wild. But again, the MVP criteria is a little bit different than the All-NBA criteria. So that's that's an interesting thing to watch. But I hope the voters get together and they decide, all right, we're going to put Embiid at center or we're going to put Jokic at center. And the other one, we're voting him at forward. So both of these guys can make the first team All-NBA. Anyways, back to DeMar DeRozan having a spectacular season, 28-5-5. On 52 effective field goal percentage. He's actually shot the three ball better than he has in years past. Although he doesn't really take a lot of attempts, he's still killing it in the mid-range game. And when we talk about total points, factoring in the amount of games played, DeMar DeRozan leads the NBA in total points scored. So you got to respect him. And I, I got him on the All-NBA third team. He did receive a lot of MVP buzz earlier in the season, but Chicago has fallen off a little bit in the standings. Again, something that I'm not factoring in for this award. But regardless, it still has to be said. Uh, Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant, I think, is probably the most uh, controversial, so to speak. Like, I, I really had a tough time of where I wanted to put Kevin Durant. He's averaging 30 points a game, seven rebounds and six assists. And he's doing it on 58 effective field goal percentage. He's getting very close to that Carl Anthony Towns mark that we mentioned earlier about shooting over 50% from the field and over 40% from three. His efficiency is really, really good. Uh, however, the thing with Kevin Durant is when we talked about games played for guys like John Morant, guys like LeBron, guys like even Steph to a lesser extent, uh, Kevin Durant has only played 51 games this year, which is significantly less than even LeBron James, like five plus games less. And by the end of the year, LeBron will probably have played two thirds of the games, which is what you need to qualify for some of these records, like the scoring title and whatnot, KD will not reach that mark. So that does hurt him a little bit. Uh, and then just the other thing is just the guys that are at his position that he has to compete with. I know Jason Tatum struggled to start the year, but how he's been playing for the better half of the second half of the year, like it's just hard to ignore. And and when you factor in the, the games played thing and you factor in just both ends of the floor, Tatum's getting it done. It's hard to it's hard to put KD over Tatum. I honestly wanted to, but I, I just couldn't get myself to do it. 
Uh, if he had played more games, if he had, let's say he had played about the same amount of games as LeBron, uh, at least two thirds of the games, I would put KD on the second team right there with LeBron James. But I got Tatum over him uh, just just because of that for the most part. Um, and I believe the voters will penalize him definitely too, and they'll probably penalize LeBron and some other guys as well for games played. So I think that is it's been a consistent criteria with the with the voting. And then my final spot, the third team center, we have Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert, I do have some criticisms about him as a player. I do believe he definitely has a lot of limitations, but he does what he does, and he does it very, very well. 15 points, 15 rebounds, leading the league in rebounds a game, uh, and 71 effective field goal percentage, which leads the NBA. His field goal percentage leads the NBA, and he's giving you elite-level defense, so He's getting a lot of his points around the rim, layups, and dunks, and he does that very, very well. Uh, there's been some clips and some photos that have surfaced the past couple days of him being wide open, sealing his man under the basket and not getting the ball. I bet if he he wants the ball a little bit more so he could try to average 20 points a game and getting those seals and, and dunking around the rim, I think that would definitely help him grow as a player if he could get up to 20 points a game on a consistent basis, be more of an offensive threat. But we know what Rudy Gobert brings to the table, and he does have a lot of limitations on the offensive side of the ball. But regardless, a phenomenal, phenomenal center, one of the best centers in the league. So second team, I got Josh, CB3, DeMar, KD, and Rudy Gobert. So those are my all-NBA teams. And I'm really curious to see how the voters are voted, who gets snubbed, because that's a thing every year. Somebody gets snubbed. Jason Tatum got snubbed last year. So I wonder how the voters are going to do it. I think Trey Young might get snubbed on this list, low-key. I have a bad feeling about it, the way people have been talking. He may be all the way down at the third team, potentially not even on it at all. Carl Anthony Towns may be under Rudy Gobert, which I would strongly disagree with. But it's just going to be curious to to see. I'm going to be curious to see and react to, to where they put some of these guys at. But let's transition. We'll talk about the scoring title race briefly because – it's a three-man race in the final week of the season. And LeBron's at 30.3 points per game. Joel Embiid's at 30.2. And Giannis is at 30.1. So they're literally splitting hairs by like 0.1 points. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the scoring title race. Let's look at some other categories that make up scoring as well. So let's first look at the field goal attempts. Who's taking the most shots per game? And LeBron James is taking the most shots per game. He's taking 22 shots per game. Joel Embiid is taking 19 and a half shots per game. And Giannis is taking 19 shots per game. Next, let's look at the free throw attempts. How many times are these guys getting to the free throw line? And Embiid leads this and leads the NBA with 12 free throw attempts per game. Giannis is at 11.5. And LeBron is all the way down at 6. So it kind of balances itself out a little bit. LeBron's taking more shots from the field, but these guys are taking a lot more free throws than LeBron. So that's interesting to look at. We look at effective field goal percentage. We talked about this before. Values of three ball, overall efficiency from the field. LeBron has a slight edge at 59%, followed by Giannis at 58%, and then it beads a little bit further down at 53%. Now let's look at true shooting percentage because true shooting percentage factors in your free throw volume and efficiency from the free throw line. And that definitely helps raise Embiid's stock. Giannis leads that slightly. He's getting to the line more than LeBron at 63%. 
LeBron's at 62%, and then Embiid is at 61%. And then total points, factoring in the amount of games that you've played. Embiid's leading this 1,963 points, followed by Giannis at 1,925, and LeBron's a lot further down at 1,695. There's been a push lately for people to say the total points leader should be the guy that wins the scoring title, which I don't think I necessarily agree with. I do agree with the game's played threshold because you can't come out here playing less than half the season or about half the season and win the scoring title, but it should be the guy that on a night-in, night-out basis is scoring the most points per game. You want to see the guy that's been the best scorer, so you don't really want to see someone that's averaging several less points per game than the top points per game guys win the scoring title because of their longevity throughout the season in my opinion although I guess I see where people are coming from but I would say I agree with how it is right now uh we already touched on the amount of points per game they're scoring but let's look at the three-point percentage and free throw percentage we look at three-point percentage surprisingly enough Joel Embiid is leading in three-point percentage slightly over LeBron Embiid's at 37 percent LeBron's at 36 percent and then Giannis is all the way down at 30 percent from three although Giannis is improving his three-point shot we just saw him hit a step back three to force overtime against the Bucks so he's getting a little bit more of that in his bag but Giannis and him or excuse me Embiid and LeBron just are a lot better in terms of three-point shooting let's look at free throw shooting Embiid's at 82 percent LeBron's at 76 percent and then Giannis is at 72 percent I think the volume of Giannis getting to the line though is helping him put more points on the board. But his free throw percentage, although it is improving, is not where some of these other guys are. LeBron's free throw percentage has improved significantly this year as well. Next up, we're going to talk quickly about the MVP. And, and I'll give you guys a brief little tier list of where I have these MVP candidates with a week left in the season. The MVP voting will factor in the team success and those factors. So unlike when we were talking about All-NBA, I will be factoring in the team success. So with that, I'm going to say my A-tier candidates are Giannis Embiid and Jokic, and this has been consistent for a while. Those guys, to me, are just on another level than some of these other guys. B-plus tier, I'm giving it to Luka Doncic because although I think that he's having a phenomenal MVP caliber season, I just don't think he's on the level of those top three, especially in the last week. But I do think he's above the next group of guys. So that's why I'm going to have him at a B plus. And then the B tier, you have guys that are putting up great numbers and having great impact on winning teams. And that will be Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Stephen Curry, DeMar DeRozan, and John Morant. And then C tier are the guys that are putting up phenomenal MVP caliber numbers but their teams are not reflecting uh, of an MVP. MVP, usually you got to be one of the best teams in your conference or you got to be winning a lot of basketball games. And these guys are just not doing that at that degree. You got LeBron James, you got Trey Young, you got Kevin Durant, and you got Carl Anthony Towns. The one kind of asterisk, so to speak, with Kevin Durant is that the Nets are winning like a lot of games when Kevin Durant has been in the lineup and his winning percentage is definitely higher than these other guys on this tier. But overall, they're going to care about what your team record is as well. So the fact that the Nets are right now in the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference is definitely going to hurt him as well as his lack of games played 
as we touched on before. Carl Anthony Towns and Trey Young are winning, like especially Towns. I think Towns' team has the best record of any of these teams in this tier, but still not quite enough for him to get the, the MVP buzz. And his numbers just aren't quite as good as some of these other guys above him as well. And then Trey Young's team, they're like 40 and 37 with him in the lineup. So that's good. But again, not great. Not to the level of the guys in the tiers above them. So that's basically my MVP tier list. It's going to go to either Giannis, Jokic, or Embiid at the end of the day. But it's still up for grabs. Which of those three players is going to win the award? Next, we're going to transition. We're going to talk about some seeding stuff. This is the real important stuff as well talking about the teams we talked about the players for basically the first half of this show but now we're going to touch on the teams and we're going to look at the teams that have clinched the playoffs at this point in time that would be the phoenix suns the golden state warriors the memphis grizzlies the dallas mavericks in the west those are the top four seeds and then the top four seeds in the east have clinched as well the miami heat the boston celtics the milwaukee bucks and the philadelphia 76ers so the seeding races we're going to look at right now, we're going to look at the East first and one through four in the Eastern Conference is really up for grabs right now. You got Miami, who's the first seed right now. You got Boston, two games back of Miami for second. Milwaukee and Philly are tied and they're half a game behind Boston for the third and fourth seed. So I think the seeding is working out the way it probably should. I think the Milwaukee Bucks, they're good at the three spot, to be honest with you. They could get the two spot, and and depending on how the play-in tournament goes, we're going to touch on that in a bit, they could knock out the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, which would be wild, or the Brooklyn Nets could beat them in the first round, and they'd be sent home, which would be a very, very wild scene. Um, But at least for Philadelphia, I like them being at the four seed. I think that will give him a great path to potentially the Eastern Conference Finals if James Harden shows up and plays the way he should be playing. Like, you would have probably the Toronto Raptors or the Bulls in the first round, and then in the second round you get the Miami Heat. That seems like the easier path to the Conference Finals. And we have to see what the Nets do too. Maybe the Nets upset the Miami Heat and you get the Nets in the second round. But regardless, that seems like the easier side of the bracket. The team I'd be wanting to avoid is the Milwaukee Bucks. A lot of people were saying avoid the Brooklyn Nets. No, I want to avoid the reigning and defending NBA champions that have the best player in the world, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they have a big three of other two guys that are very capable star caliber players, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. They're a pretty deep team. Like, There's just no reason I would want to play the Bucks. I want to save the Bucks for as late as possible. Boston... Like they're probably good at the two seed, I guess. I would take them probably over the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, but that would be an interesting matchup. That would be a very competitive matchup. They played last year in the first round, did not go their way, but James Harden was the best player on the floor for the Brooklyn Nets in that series. He's no longer a member of the Brooklyn Nets, and the Celtics had a lot of injuries in their own right, so that would be interesting, but I think Boston and these teams at the top, I don't think you should really tank. Like, despite me saying that Philadelphia's in a good spot at the four seed right now, just do your best to get ready for the playoffs, which means ramp it up and show off your playoff rotations to an extent. Just get that chemistry and that cohesion 
Make sure you're firing on all cylinders when it's playoff time. That's what I would be doing, more so than focusing on the seeding, especially if I'm one of these teams that have already clinched the playoffs. Next, we're going to look at the 3-6 to six seed out west, and that's basically where the feathers start to get ruffled because the top two seeds are basically locked and loaded. You got the Phoenix Suns, you got the Memphis Grizzlies. Golden State has a one-game lead over Dallas for the third seed. Denver is two games behind Dallas for the fourth seed. And then Utah is a half a game back of Denver for that number five spot. So, man, still a lot up for grabs in the Western Conference. Golden State, they just want to make sure that Stephen Curry is going to be healthy. They want to make sure that Klay Thompson's fully back to being Klay Thompson. Draymond Green is back fully from his injury and ready to go for playoff mode. That's what matters most to the Golden State Warriors, not what seed they get. Although if you're not healthy, if you're not whole, if you're not clicking on all cylinders, there is a team that can beat you in the first round of the playoffs if you're Golden State. But they can't worry about that. They know that they're not going to be able to win a championship if they're not getting what they need to get from their top three guys. So that's the most important thing on Golden State's end. Shout out to Jordan Poole. The man's been absolutely balling now. Without Steph Curry in the lineup, he's taking his game up to another level as more of a go-to guy, running more of the Stephen Curry role in the offense. So shout out to Jordan Poole, a guy that I predicted to win most improved before the season. Definitely in that conversation. We'll see if he ends up getting that award. But shout out to him. Uh, Dallas is clicking. Luka Doncic and them are heating up. Denver... We don't know what's going on with Porter and Jamal Murray. I would not expect those guys to come back this season. So it's basically going to be Jokic and the cast of characters, the the role players, the support pieces. But I don't think they're really going to do much of anything in the playoffs. Although they won a playoff series last year that I did not expect them to do against the Portland Trailblazers. So we'll see. And and Utah Jazz, like <laughs> these guys are a joke at this point. They need to blow it up. It's, it's done in Utah. We, we can't keep seeing the same story. Like, no one is taking this Utah Jazz team seriously whatsoever. So, you got to get Donovan Mitchell some help on offense and Rudy Gobert some help on defense, and they don't really have that at all. So, it's a tough scene for the Utah Jazz. Uh, let's check out the play-in scenario, the play-in for each conference. When you look at the Eastern Conference, the Bulls and the Raptors are tied two and a half games ahead of the Cavs. They're on the outside looking into the play-in, which is good. You don't want to have to unnecessarily be in the play-in tournament, and they're not currently. However, the Cavs are in the play-in. They're at the seventh seed, and they're a game and a half ahead of the Atlanta Hawks for the seventh seed, which the Hawks could still theoretically grab within within the coming week. You got the Hornets and the Nets tied one game behind the Hawks. And they're trying to move up. The Brooklyn Nets have a cupcake schedule to close out the season. So they should definitely be able to move up in the standings. And they have the most talented roster out of all of these teams. Although they're not really playing much defense. They just lost a pivotal game to the Atlanta Hawks. Despite KD dropping his career high 55 points, they still lost that game. Trey Young had 36 points, 10 assists. Shimmying on you, hit deep threes to close the game. Not a great look for the Brooklyn Nets. They put the Hawks on the free throw line way too much in that game. But we'll see. They have a cupcake schedule. They should be able to move up. But right now, they're the 10th and final seed. So that's not a good look for them. The play-in is going to be interesting out there in the East and in the West. 
You got Minnesota a game and a half behind Utah for the sixth spot. So they're the seventh seed right now. They're trying to get their way out of a play-in tournament. Potentially, Utah could find their way into the play-in tournament, which would be wild. Um, but right now, it's looking like Minnesota will probably stay at seven. The Clippers are basically locked into the eighth seed right now. Paul George came back, giving them a lift, and they're ready to go, ready to compete for the play-in tournament. The Pelicans are four and a half games behind the Clippers, but they're pretty securely into the play-in tournament for the most part, unless they absolutely sell it down the stretch. The Spurs are a game behind the Pelicans for the 10th spot. And then the Lakers are two games behind the Spurs for the 11th spot, which means right now they are on the outside looking in of the play-in tournament. And it's all likely that they will probably miss the play-in tournament, which is (laughs) absolutely laughable. Like if you told somebody before the season that the Lakers will be the 11th spot in the Western Conference, and the Brooklyn Nets would be the 10 spot in the Eastern Conference, they would think you are just absolutely trolling, joking, like you, you don't know what you're talking about. But that's currently the reality of the world we live in right now, that those teams just did not, they just did not live up to their expectations, not even close to living up to their expectations. Like, we're, we're legitimately talking about teams that were supposed to meet each other in the NBA Finals And they're probably about to meet each other in Cancun in about a week and a half, which is absolutely nuts. (laughs) Absolutely nuts, man. But given that, I want to take a look at the NBA teams that are somewhat competitive and competing this year for a championship, for the playoffs and whatnot. And I'm going to give you guys my NBA teams tier list at this point in the NBA season. So the S tier is the favorites. And I'm not saying this is necessarily the teams I'm going to pick to win the conference. I'll be doing some predictions in next week's episode uh, for all the awards and for the play-in and and things of that nature. But we got the teams that should win the conference based on how well they've performed in the regular season this year. And the favorites to me are the teams that came out the conference last year. Sorry to be boring, but that's just what it is. The Milwaukee Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. And I think probably the favorites to win it all, in my estimation, although a lot of people will say the Phoenix Suns, who have been by far the most dominant and the best team in basketball all year. That's the team that's favored to come out of the Western Conference. So those are the two teams that have just been above the rest at this point. Sorry, Miami Heat fans. I just think the Bucs have been, like, they just are a better basketball team. Like, respectfully to to where the standings are, like, watching basketball, the eye test says that the Bucs definitely have been a better team than the Miami Heat, in my estimation, especially with not knowing what you're going to get from Jimmy Butler, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, You got the A tier now, the contenders. The contenders, you got the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Boston Celtics, and the Miami Heat. These are teams that are definitely going to be in the hunt, in the chase to potentially come out the conference, compete for a championship, but they're not necessarily the favorites, I would say, right now. And there's definitely things that would have to go their way in order for them to accomplish their goals of winning a championship or at least getting out the conference. So give them a... Give them a chance for sure, but like not the favorites. B tier, you have the competitive playoff caliber teams. 
And for this, you're looking at Dallas Mavericks, Denver Nuggets, Utah Jazz, Minnesota Timberwolves, Los Angeles Clippers, Chicago Bulls, Toronto Raptors, Cleveland Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks, and the Brooklyn Nets. And again, all these teams are not even going to make the playoffs. Like some of them will be on the outside looking in, but these are the teams that I look at. They could give you a competitive series. They could win a game or two in the first round. I'm not really expecting them to go that far in the playoffs, though. The Dallas Mavericks are the one team that I could see potentially like getting hot and making like a conference finals run somehow. And even that, then there would be a lot that has to go right for them to do that. I think Dallas is the one team that I'm confident will for sure win a first round playoff series out of all these teams in this tier. So outside of that, just extending the series, making it competitive. I think that's what those teams will do. C tier. This is my happy to be here tier. And you got the New Orleans Pelicans, the Charlotte Hornets, and the San Antonio Spurs. These are teams that I don't expect to make it out of the play-in tournament, but they'll probably be in the play-in tournament. But, uh, yeah, just a lot of these teams are young. They're trying to get their their continuity. They're trying to make sure that they can build something for the future that will be a lot better than this. So, But shout-out to you guys. You guys at least made it into the play-in tournament. So or probably will, unless you guys choke down the stretch. Props to y'all. Um, and then you have the unhappy to be here, <laughs> which is the Los Angeles Lakers, because they're not even in the play-in tournament, and the fact that they're even in this conversation is is ridiculous. So those are my tiers of NBA teams, about a week left in the season. That's how I'm seeing everything shaping out to be. Let's talk briefly about the national championship game, which is tonight. You got Kansas and North Carolina. North Carolina beat the Duke Blue Devils, and they sent Coach K out to retirement with the L to the rivals, man, and the only meeting that they've had in March Madness. That's that's tough. That's a tough way to go out. Coach K is an icon. He's a legend. He's coached Team USA basketball. He's He's incredible at what he does, but man, that's a tough way to go out. I'd be, I'd be very disappointed. I'd be very upset if I was a Duke fan and went to Duke or anything like that. I mean, that's that's tough. That's tough. But yeah, they play they play Kansas. North Carolina plays Kansas. We'll see what happens to blue collar teams. I don't really know what's gonna happen, but should be a good competitive game. And because of that, there are no NBA games today. People will be watching the national championship game. Then the games will resume tomorrow for the rest of the week. These are the key games to look forward to, to to watch, to have on your schedule because these games will determine a lot of seeding. You got the Bulls taking on the Bucks. You got the Lakers taking on the Suns. The Heat will be playing the Hornets. The Hawks will be playing the Raptors. Grizzlies taking on the Jazz. Nets versus Knicks in New York with the Knicks potentially putting the Brooklyn Nets in worse seating position in the play-in tournament than they would like. That would be intriguing for sure. You have the Celtics and the Chicago Bulls, the Suns and the Clippers, the Celtics and the Bucks, Lakers and Warriors, Sixers and Raptors, Nets and Cavs. That's a big play-in implications there, both of those teams in the play-in. Hawks versus Heat, Suns versus Jazz. Warriors versus Spurs, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Bucks, Cavs, Bucks, or excuse me, Bulls, Timberwolves, Spurs, Mavs, Lakers, Nuggets, 
Warriors Pelicans and Grizzlies versus Celtics. Those are a lot of key games to look forward to because those games will determine a lot of seeding uh, for both conferences, to be honest, and at the top and in the play-in. So it's good. I like the way basketball is right now in terms of all these teams still have something to play for in the last week of the season. You won't be seeing that much load management or resting players. You'll see it probably among some teams that are clinched that don't really care about seeding or some teams that season's basically over. But other than that, a lot of teams still have a lot to play for. So very complete episode. Talked about the All-NBA teams. Talked about MVP tiers. We talked about the scoring tile race, seeding races in both conferences for the playoff teams and the play-in teams. Touched on the national championship game and some key games this week. I appreciate y'all for tuning in. I'm out for next time. Peace.